So we were chanting the Mangala Sutta this morning in English, and I was appreciating the uh, teachings in that Sutta, which in some ways are, you know, very clear and really sort of uh, not esoteric. It's like you know, they're not difficult to understand. Uh, with speech that is well spoken, uh, associating with the wise, not associating with foolish people, giving up harmful ways. You know, these are not jargon. Uh, uh, yeah. But then also contemplating these various fields that are presented. And fields are mean something like a group effect. In a sense, not a particular point, but a field, for example, the field of, first field, the field of um, what you associate with, who's in your field. Well, let's withdraw from the foolish, let's associate it with the wise. So it's a sense of being connected in that particular field, honouring that which is worthy, those who are worthy of honour. <clears throat> so, right in the centre of that field, you place the upright. Mind, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Buddha is the example of that, prime example of that. But really, we're saying an act of honoring, centering the field of the beings you associate with around this simple, clear principle that we're honoring. Yeah. And it's a lovely phrase because it doesn't mean trying to become that or comparing yourself with, but honoring. So the act of honouring, your heart rises up, you know, it? that's the beauty of puja, when you honour, right, to honour something, your heart has to rise and, you know, lift, so it brings you upright. When you honour the Buddha, you don't say, oh, that was nice Buddha, thanks very much, that was a good day, shake hands, no, it's not that casual kind of, <laughs> thank you. As you, you're in the presence of the Buddha, you know, you're upright, aren't you? In that, in that sense of the heart going up into that, this is beautiful, this is beautiful, this is deep, and then rising. And that sits in the center of your field, that's the, that's the marker, that's the nimitta of that field. Around that, oh, these are the people who, who fit into that, at this time, and they don't. It's not you're not cutting people out. It's so much as just that they exclude themselves because they're not in line with that which is worthy of honour. And of course, if you look at that, it's a final, you know, fixed statement. It's not quite true because I think sometimes we are foolish, you know, and that that may be for a period of time or a day or a moment or an hour. And then as soon as you come back into being wise again, <laughs> you know, they can't hook you in. And so just sit down to start taking these things too, uh, you know, legalistically, uh, and knowing oneself, what one is in line with that which is worthy of honouring. You know, it's really upright. Mm. You know, peaceful quality of Buddha, strained upright.
not rigid upright, it's peaceful because it's balanced and poised. When are you like that? When is that there for you? How does that come for you? Well, so the field itself helps to, you know, generate the center. So if you're associating with wise people, pick up the modes, the behaviors, the tonalities, the qualities they don't bother with, things they do focus on, you pick that up sympathetically, and you get this crystallizing principle in the middle of it, that rises to the center, scrupulous, whatever it is for you, scrupulous, peaceful, you know, easy, uh, valuable, you know, someone who accepts their weaknesses and isn't ready to correct them, then really then the rest of the suit that kind of lines some of that up. You know, we are realizing our shortcomings and ego, interested, willing to be heard, to know about them, and then that's worthy of honor, isn't it? You know, it'd be great not to have any, of course. <laughs> That'd be worthy of honor, but having some and being able willing to listen to it and make an effort to change it, that's also profoundly worthy of honour and you don't get to the to the you know to one without the other. So you how do we cultivate making mistakes, blundering, losing balance, and draw ourselves into upright rather than getting uptight. Because the field is sympathetic, the field is kind, the field is compassionate. It's not saying we chuck you out. It means, no, we don't throw you out. What happens if you don't line up with this? You fall out. You know, you, you <laughs> it's, it's up to you, really. And, and, we, and we would like you not to fall out, to decline. So these are qualities that help to re-establish your balance. And this is the sort of skill of training. Uh, and this sutta does point out all principles of training. But it's always in context of a field, the field of the human associations, one's family or community, mm. looking after each other within that, supporting each other, cherishing family. The family is our Dhamma family, our Sangha family, or our. Yeah. That's, that's a principle worthy of honour. Yeah. Training oneself, skilled in craft and discipline, it means you've got a, a certain interest in refinement. Yeah. You take up any craft or discipline, whether it's wood carving, calligraphy, Tai Chi or whatever it is, you realise it's not, it can't be tight. You get tense, you you lose the balance. And the balance really is that which the field provides. It's kindly, compassionate. Okay. No learning from the imbalances, the tensions. Oh, relax that. A little more energy here. You know, pay attention there. Uh, withdraw attention there. You're gradually finding yourself lining up. And if you're doing any kind of craft, you need to know certain things. 
One is what your own body is capable of, body, mind is capable of, also what the material is capable of, and what your tools are capable of. Yeah, so it's very holistic. Isn't it? Yeah, you start doing want to do wood carving, don't know how what a chisel is capable of doing, if you make a mistake, you cut across the grain, you splinter it, you don't know what the wood is out, you make a mistake. If you're not standing, holding the tools correctly, properly, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to get the whole thing lined up. And each error will teach you perhaps which bit you weren't really attentive to. You put too much effort, too much effort on holding the tools tight. No, you don't need to hold them that tight. If you hold hold any one detail too tightly, you lose the whole picture. And this is the training because it's often the case we think that to get things right we tighten up on a detail. But this often means you lose out the other bits. <laughs> you know. So you can be a very good um, student studying but you don't know how to speak correctly. Yeah. And how to, to put things across slowly and patiently. Because when you read things and study things, it, it's different from communicating it. No one can sit quite well, but walking can't do. Walking meditation just doesn't feel very steady. In it. Or you can meditate in stillness quite well, but once you get into a group activity, you get flustered and agitated and you start losing your balance, getting chatty and garrulous or frightened and nervous. The ability to go to the field of what you're in, it's your own body, the group, what the event is about, feeling for that, bringing in the quality of listening to it, tuning into it, and then aiming for what is really honourable, steady, attentive, you know, looking for the balances. And that's your meditation process, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, being in that. You take something like standing meditation, you know, standing meditation, that's this you know, it's very useful because you can see even a simple thing like standing up and standing still for 15 minutes, half an hour, or even longer. Surprisingly simple, surprisingly difficult. Because most people tend to stand leaning on the hips. Yeah. Or used to shifting from one foot to another, propping themselves on an elbow. Yeah. And to stand so that the whole body is included, from the crown of the head down to the feet, requires a scan of the whole form, first of all. And the upright sense, which is the guiding theme within that, 
and you begin to piece in how the details will fit around that. It's like a, it's a mandala processes rather than flat, linear, like this and that and this and that. You get the whole picture first of all, and then you look at the, you know, the constituent factors within that and you begin to see how they fit together. So the first thing in the whole form, then the upright. Then you look for something like uh, balance. You're leaning forward, leaning to one side, leaning back, balance. Then you look for something like uh, tension, a bit tight in the belly, on the shoulders, relaxing that. And then you look for something like cohesion. So cohesion means no one part is doing more work than any other part. No one part is skipping out, is missing. So there's everything there together. So you can find maybe there's, you know, your legs are doing a lot of work and your belly's sort of sagging. Okay, you just need to adjust your tailbone, relax down the backside. You've got just slight shifts balance so that all the muscles are awake and what they're doing is trying to or cooperating so that the weight is being carried by the bones as much as possible so if any muscle that's tightening up mm, something wrong there Any muscular area that feels gripped, that's something wrong there. Any place that's sort of sagging, head is lolling forward, that's something wrong there. And you keep tuning into the upright and bringing everything together around that. And the beauty of it is, if you cultivate that, all the weight is being carried down through the bones into the ground. And areas of your body that you got used to not really feeling begin to be sensed, the soles of your feet open up because they're no longer closed by the compression in your feet. Your feet wear shoes, they're often compressed. Now coming out of that, the soles of your feet begin to open up. You feel the entire sole of your foot, quite a lively, vibrant area. And you, you, know, you, you balance everything above those two feet. And the quality of balance has got a steady, poised, calming effect. But you pick up the sign. So, of course. Remember, we're not being too materialistic about that. It's not exactly about what it looks like from the outside, what it feels like. What upright feels like. Clearly, we're not straight lines. We're kinds of curves and bends. That's what it feels like. And you pick up the sign, which is the, you know, the underlying under uni, you know, the single unifying quality behind all that, and it is going to be balance, openness, 
stability, which is not locked. Ease, ease. Pick up the sign, ease. Stability, wherever you, whatever the sign comes to you, whatever your mind, your heart picks up. And that is sustained, so you tune into that so that the various agitations that run through the mind, like how long should I do this for? What's the one I'm supposed to be focusing on? Uh, where's this go? All that kind of worry stuff. It touches the sign of ease and the sign of ease begins to dissolve it. So the sign of ease or balance is a nice wide field with not with no differentiations in it. There's no good ease and bad ease. It's just ease. Right? Simple. And that simple unifying quality. Right? This is what we call samadhi. In the various should I, shouldn't I, what's supposed to happen, what am I going to happen, what am I doing this, all that stuff, touches into that and begins to dissolve. As long as you meet the agitations with that quality of balance, or openness, or stability. Now if you meet the agitation which with a don't be agitated, that creates agitation. You know, when you, if you meet the agitation with you're not doing it right, that creates agitation. <laughs> because that's not the sign of stability, balance and ease, is it? It's a sign of got to get it right, getting it wrong, da 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 da. And that just creates more agitation. Right? So it's not the person that corrects the practice, it's the sign of wholeness that does the practice, that is the really effective medium. The balance in the whole field is, is the, the corrective medium, not the person. And the uh, thing you recognize you do any kind of skill or craft or standing meditation is, if you're trying to get it right, you're likely to get it wrong. Because as soon as you get a trying to get it right thing, things start to lock up, and you get tense, and you get impatient, and then you make mistakes. And you make mistakes, you get more tense and impatient. Now if you don't get tense, stay balanced, likely you still make mistakes. (laughs) But instead of getting more tense, you go, oh there's a mistake, Uh too much pressure there imbalance there and it it adjusts just a little not acknowledgement. So yes there is an assessment, yes there is a, a corrective, right? But the corrective is not something that gets you more tense and uptight and nervous. It's a corrective, it's a compassionate corrective. We call it compassionate, but it's just that's what the field does. If you're open to it, it, it receives you. It receives your individuality. Oh, okay, just too much, too, too much gripping there. 
not noticing that. Ah, notice that. Release that. Ah, that, yeah, that's good. And so it goes. Oops, too fast. So in, sometimes in my, not on retreat, but in other times I practice uh, some calligraphy because I find it helpful coordinating the eye, the body, the mind, and the materiality, the ink, the pen, the nib, and so forth. Just getting to sync to line up. Something okay, it'd be nice to write a piece of a sutta. Okay, you know. Right, get this sutta, write those few lines down. Whoops, mistake. <laughs> Too much ink on the nib. Okay, get the sutta, get the paper. Right, not my finger. Oops, move too fast. Okay, try another one. Get the sutta, get a bit of paper. Maybe slow down, relax. Oops, tension in my shoulder. Okay. Okay, get the sutta. Okay, okay. just get one word. <laughs> Right, one word. Okay, one word. Oops, push too fast. Okay, just get down to one letter. Can you do the letter O without getting in a state about it? Okay, just two strokes. One down, one. That's better. Just take that one, that one, that one. You've got the whole thing in mind. <laughs> You're going to do the sutta. But at the same time, you realize that will kind of take care of itself if you get body, mind, nib, ink, paper to line up. <laughs> that's, your, that's it. And the way that's, that's the practice, the, thing is, the end result takes care of itself, you know, it's whatever it is. You know. So, yes, there's a kind of right and wrong, but the right and wrong are not associated with juttering feelings of failure, idiot, never going to do this, too difficult for me, I can't, you're not associated with reverberations around the sense of self, which is called papancha. The mind, the chitta, tumbles over into its own agitations and makes a person out of them. It starts to agitate and then it tumbles into that agitation and makes a person out of it. It's made a person out of it, the person's an agitated person who gets agitated about their agitation or shuts the whole thing down and says, I can't do it and go somewhere else. Distracts. There's papancha, proliferation. But the person doesn't make the mistake. It's unknowing or uncertainty or imbalance inattentiveness, not feeling the whole thing, is where the error begins. But as it reverberates, jitta makes that into a person. And this is partly because it's a social conditioning, isn't it? You know, it's like that. You know, from early age, you know, errors, you got it wrong. 
you know, maybe blame, punishment, rejection, scolding, you got it wrong. Then you have to try harder to get it right. Otherwise you're not as good as someone, or you're rejected. So it's become so that habit of identifying with these intentions and actions is deeply ingrained to be a personal error or and then of course the person is desperate not to make those errors. They don't want the blame, they don't want the rejection, they don't want the feeling of failure. Even nobody else cares. Yeah. And so it's certainly my own experience that, you know, if somebody does something they think is, you know, make a mistake, they, I don't know. Maybe the top drops a cup or something, you know. They don't generally, but maybe something like that. And they say, oh yeah, that wasn't right. Uh, you know, try better next time. But there can be that kind of feeling of, of disaster that comes into it. And then the really shame and guilt, trying to get it right, tensing up. Get so tense to drop another cup. <laughs> Something else. <laughs> I think well, it wasn't such a big disaster, you know. It just well, some things people would say. Oh, I'm sorry, I said that yesterday. Did you? I don't even remember it. I wasn't very respectful. Huh? Oh, oh, I don't even notice it. Okay. Oh yeah, I see what you mean. Oh yeah, right. Oh well, no, I didn't take it that way myself. Just. You know, but how people who seem to me do rather well can find fault because as soon as they notice something is not uh, it was compulsive or it was not what they sh- as good as they thought it should be even if maybe it wasn't that bad the reverberation of anxiety sets up guilt and generally for the person who's extremely um, blamed or insecure in that respect, the default is to go to being blamed. That's the reflex. Because you know how to deal with that. You close down, shut down, make yourself small, lock up. So if you've got those reflexes of having been you know, in a threatened situation, some kind, insecure, not welcome, not appreciated, not associated with the wise, <laughs> but with people who have a bit of a state themselves. Likelihood is when you make something you feel is wrong, whether it's wrong or not, you assume it's wrong. And then the blame comes in, because that's the reflex, and then you tighten up around that, and maybe distract. So this gets ingrained, so we have to learn how to learn in all things, including of course the skills of meditation. So instead of going to the default pattern of you know, getting it wrong, therefore closing down and distracting, going somewhere else, and then feeling bad about that, <laughs> and more blame, guilt, so distract again, or say you can't do it too difficult for me, 
it's impossible to a higher standard then you're setting this incredibly high standard we've got to follow you know blaming other people you know blame the Buddha why do you make it so difficult <laughs> you know, just notice that feeling of can't quite do it and what happens there you know, stirred, agitated can't quite do it, not getting it right okay, we'll just go to the field of the body and stand sit, walk, breathe and touch into the sign of balance uprightness and let that receive the agitation rather than the person receive the agitation you see what I mean? It's not that you shouldn't be. It's no, you can't say you should. It's no, you can't use should and shouldn't on this stuff. It's reflexive. It's not a choice. You don't decide to get agitated. So when agitation, feeling fed up occurs, you can't say you shouldn't be that way. That furthers the cycle. What's happening? What's happening with that? They always want me to make it right. They always want me. They always expect so much of me. They expect me to be perfect. They really want me to do. I've really got to work so hard and be perfect. Wait a minute. What's happening? Oh, bodies, you know, closing down. Feet on the ground, breathing in, breathing out. Opening the field. And you realize all those they, she, he, that we carry, are phantoms of our own contraction. Of not being able to own our own, or our own, or this system agitation. So it becomes they make me, or I'm not. Either of these voices are signs, so you pick up those signs. The sign of the absent them. Is what? Undergoing quality, hostility. The sign of the failing I, what's that? Your own will. Close. Can we meet those signs instead of calling them people? Standing. The space all around me, completely open. Space doesn't care what I do. Path beneath my feet totally open to me being there, doesn't expect anything of me. <laughs> Sky above my head, completely free and open, not demanding I be anything. Oh, the they's and the eyes begin to dissolve into the field. So you use a form like that, standing, walking, sitting, generating, field of attention 
a sense of you know balance and then the within that balance the upright center begins to form which is not an uptight center it's just a sense of poise poise because we do realize just how sensitive this system is it can just swing out of kilter a few little ripple effects you know memories worries mental stuff old calming habits rise up we can easily get knocked off kilter so this is where you deepen your keel within the storms through field center you know, quality goodwill absence of ill will so it's also realizing equanimity much unheralded or seemingly lofty attribute upeka equanimity is actually a very generous field quality saying mistake okay getting it right okay losing it okay <laughs> it's a very you can catch it all and bring it back nothing falls outside that because he's completely losing it okay lost it where are we now settle into that okay stop the agitations it's like that and gradually things will draw together again very generous quality it helps you to stop trying without collapsing it's not about trying it's not about going soggy so often we're trying to have a meditation it's often the experience of trying to have a meditation experience trying to experience something I'm not experiencing and then you're always experiencing the sign is of trying isn't it how does that feel is there a difference between trying and aspiration yes there is aspiration comes from accessing or the whole sense and within this within this experience that's happening now where is the most beautiful where is the brightest where is the most balanced we know all this so you're referring to something actual whereas if you're trying you're referring to something abstract example I'm trying to live in a really perfect community well that's going to be a disaster isn't it but I'm saying this is the people I'm living with within all this what is most beautiful in this actual situation ah they, they turn up, they cooperate, yeah. they maintain precepts, yeah. they don't give up. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. And you pick up the sign, it's upright. 
and then you pick up it, you take that back into your own heart, attuning to that. Very important to cultivate to the whole thing, let the sense of form out of what is the most beautiful. That's that's gives you aspiration rather than trying. Because you are collecting or allowing to collect and focusing on the bright side. bright nimitta. It's not a point of light, it's a quality of heart. And, yeah, and you walk with that. And you notice, you know, because this then is something, you know, we have these formal periods, this group here, the fact it's great, in my opinion, I like it, because it very much establishes a firm external sign, really I find it very, myself, very um, encouraging, you know, very stable, supportive, quiet. Okay, now clearly in this retreat, we're not here all the time. What happens outside that? What happens when the bell rings? Do you maintain the sign? Or is it, oh, well, that's the end of that. Are we going to something more compulsive or just go very soggy? <laughs> you know, casual, do things drift a bit? Is it possible to relax or soften the form without losing the brightness? Are you have to moderate your behavior. What you do in those so called breaks, remember, there are no breaks. Really, like there's no, you know, what I'm saying, your breath doesn't end, it just changes from pause, which is nice and open, into rising, pausing, shifting. Retreat, same. Sitting, then moving into a form, a closed form, open form. Closed form, open form. Closed form. Open form. Pretty much breathing in and out. And the open form, don't lose the field. You know? It's like, it's not just woo. Or really lose it altogether, lose the thread. The open form is still a form. It should maintain that same bright center. There might be different qualities that are worth honouring. You know, like my attention to tidying up the monastery. Beautiful. Could be my studying a sutta. Beautiful. Could be my doing some yoga. Helps your body. Beautiful. So it doesn't have to be you've got a particular thing to do, but you're operating within something that They've still got that same sense of, you know, like what the Mangala Sutta presents, the different skill forms that all operate around the same principle. It says, cultivating like this, even while living in the world, any world, one is not acting in worldly 
ways. Therefore, one is safe. Safe, secure, interesting. Then you're safe from your corruptions. You're safe from yourself, from your obsessions, from your ignorance, from these asanas. This is the highest blessing. There's a cultivation, and this is our last um, day of this particular form. I hope some of these remarks from the last week can be helpful for you, help things shift or find balance. It's been uh, certainly an honour to be able to offer, bring my mind into focus. And uh, appreciation for everyone's uh, respect to the form, practice, and all the efforts that go on behind to make it bring that form into focus. Naturally, anything one does or says is bound to somewhere could have negative effects. So again, it's appropriate to uh, ask forgiveness or recognise, you know my limitations in uh, being here and teaching and asking for your generosity to release anything that might have been afflictive in this session. So let's, um, and of course for yourselves, I find no fault with anyone here. So let's continue our practice and make good use of this particular opportunity to find our skillful sign and treasure it.